Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Outside the Box. And, you know, I'm with Jamie Winship, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself in just a second. But for the listeners and the watchers out there, I, I'm, like, really upset that we haven't had the last 30 minutes of our conversation <laughs> recorded, yeah. you know. And then, you know, now we're going to have to somehow recreate it, which I doubt that we can, but we're going to do our best. Yes. So, Jamie are. Winship, why don't you introduce our, yourself and tell the, the people watching kind of who you are. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. And um, my whole life really based on a movie I saw when I was in eighth grade at a movie theater that we weren't allowed to go to because we were not allowed to go to movies. Um, I, I snuck into this movie theater and saw the the movie Serpico um, with Al Pacino, which is I've, a, n- I've never seen it. Yeah. Which... True story movie. <laughs> and uh, and it to- I was 14 in the back row hiding and it was R rated, which was even worse. And, um, and I, I, I had this emotional, I just started weeping and I did, I had no idea why the movie was, you know, it's a pretty intense movie, but there's something about the movie that, that was affecting me emotionally. And I started to cry and it was the sense that this movie was somehow naming me or calling me. Mm. And so, um, and so, and it had to do with, if you don't know the movie, it's the movie of Frank Serpico, who was a New York city police officer who, in his rookie year realized that his entire squad was on the take and he just wouldn't participate. He wasn't, he didn't turn him in. He just wouldn't participate. But in a, in a corruption scheme, if you won't participate, you're a liability. So he ends up getting shot on duty by a, 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 in a drug deal that the other cops set up. And it was anyway, that was the movie. And he, he rose up against that kind of thing. And they started the nap commission because of him and reform and police that whole, it was just the nobility of him and his his um, his integrity, and I just really loved the character. And so I just I felt like that's me. That's what I'm supposed to be. Uh, the metaphor, sort of, uh, of that identity was the police department. So I decided right then I'm going to be a police officer, and I'm going to be that kind of person. So from 14 till I'm 61 now, I've never ever veered from what happened in that movie theater. Um, but so went to college, criminal justice, went into the, po- went into the police department, um, um, in Fairfax in Virginia, and then, uh, spent five years in the police and I j- loved every single minute of it. That's, um, and that takes a certain person, yeah, you know, to yes. like, cause it really does. Cause we talked a little bit beforehand, like you really loved that experience. I did. I loved it. And, um, you know, I didn't like coming home actually. And it, it, and as I, you know, I progressed and made detective and worked vice and, you know, had lived that lifestyle where I could kind of work my own hours. And, um, and then I was married and had two kids. So it got to be a little bit tense, but, but I loved it and I was really good at it because, um, I've sort of figured out what I, what my, how, what my gift really was to others yeah in that in that vocation right which you've been able to kind of transition and and transfer right uh, over time tell us a little bit about that well yeah that's an interesting thing so my sense was that I was going to gain some sense of identity from the vocation that I was in Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of how you start and, and and but once I was in the vocation I realized oh it's not the vocation that's giving me identity I'm bringing identity to the vocation once and I knew that other Folks I worked with, that's not what they were doing. They were gaining identity from the vocation, which which causes you to be terrified of losing your job. 
Because that's a huge thing right there. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's you, Ben. Uh, So bring your identity to your vocation, not make your identity your vocation. How did like, how did you know, first of all, that, that that's what you wanted to do? Or did you think, man, I'm kind of, you know, my, my, uh, my self-worth is, is, uh, wrapped up in being a police officer and doing this good stuff. Right. Did you know from the beginning that you were bringing your identity? No, 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 no. Okay. No, that was a discovery process over, over my five years in the police department, but I'll tell you how, you know, and it's based on fear, the idea of how fear works. And so, um, uh, a friend of mine said to me one time, fear is, fear is a positive thing to have in your life, but never let fear in the driver's seat or to ride shotgun. It's always in the back seat. Whew. Keep it in the back seat because if it's in the driver's seat, it'll prevent you from doing risky things. Okay. And if it's riding shotgun, it'll also close down your creativity. So in the police department, um, I, you know, I realized very quickly, okay, most of what we're doing in the city, in the public is not actually working we're locking people up, but we're not, we're not like fighting evil, which is kind of the way you go in. Like, I'm going to fight evil. But then I realized we're kind of just locking people up and we're locking the same people up all the time. And, and we're going to, we're, we're, it's not, nothing's really changing year after year. And this is when cops start getting cynical. And so I realized, okay, so I'm going to, I need to do something different. We need to come up with something creative to do here. That's better. And I realized that the things that I would come up with to do differently put my job at risk. They like they were actually things that the police department didn't like. So then I had to make a decision. What's more important to me, the job, mm. the career of police officer or the cause of why I'm there? It's cause versus career. Ooh. And so I so fear would say, why are you going to risk your career in, to, to like help this one person and it may not even work. And so that's where, that's where if I get my identity from my job, I can't lose my job and, I, and, and it shuts the creativity down. But if I'm like, listen, I can get a job anywhere. My identity is what guides me. It, it makes me less fearful. It makes me fear less. And so I will try new things and, and, Later on, when the CIA came to interview me, the guy that actually trained me in the department, um, he's, he was a you know street career dude, you know, rough, crusty old. He said to me one day, he knew the CIA was recruiting me, and he said, he pulled me aside one time, and he said, look, he goes, you're the only one I know that would risk your career to move to another level of life. And he said, I would never do it, but I'm telling you, you should go ahead and do it because you, you, you don't need to be a cop. So first, like, how did you find your, how'd you know what your identity was? Cause that seems to be, and you know, probably going to be the theme of this podcast mm-hmm. is the self-awareness that that would have taken That's right. would be huge. Yeah. So, um, so you can't, you can't become something you've never seen, right? Ooh, that's yeah. a, that's yeah. a, that's a, just a truism. And so for me to like, I, I knew this was going on. Like I had the sense of like, what's more important to me, my career as a police officer or the cause of what made me cry in the movie theaters. This guy is, he's, he's not reacting to things. He's causal. He's causing things to happen. 
in, right? in a positive in way. In a positive way, right? Huh. And so my then I was like, am I going to be the am I going to be causal or am I just going to be reactive? Yep. And so um, I I sensed that, and I knew okay, what's the th- what are the things that are going to prevent me from being a, a change agent in a police department in a in a low income neighborhood? What would prevent me to do from doing that? One word: fear. Yep. That is the word. And I knew, okay, so the fear has to be brought, the fear has to be, I have to control the fear. I can't let the fear control me, the fear of losing my job. But I, I had never seen anyone do it. You'd never seen anyone not be uh, controlled by fear right. in terms of vocation, but probably if you're being controlled by fear and vocation, you're probably being controlled by fear in other aspects right. of your life as well. Right. Which means you're getting your identity from what you do, what you have and what people think about you. Those yes. are all fear based yes. ways of thinking. And Can you say those three things one more time? What you have, okay. what you possess, um, what you do and what people think about you. That's yes. how most of us, we get identity from one of those three areas. And so if, if I get my identity from what people think about me, then I have to worry all the time. What do they think about me? My yep. boss, my spouse, my partner. I'm, and, and worry is the equivalent is fear. Is this another word for fear? Okay. Right. So that, in that case, fear is in the driver's seat or, you know, right, you know, right riding beside shotgun, you. Riding shotgun over you. Right. Okay. And so, um, and so I had to find a model uh, I had to find a person I could look at and go that person seems to under they seem to come in with their identity intact or the way we say it now is you bring your identity into the room you don't get it there and you don't lose it there you bring it in with you and then you take it when you leave that is the most liberating position you could ever be in in life well because you're in complete control over that's it. right you know and, and one thing that I've recently you know, kind of discovered about my own anxiety was, was about this lack of control. And, and then I would focus on the lack of control instead of, and we talked about this before we recorded, you know, reframing it to things that I have control over. And the identity is what you're saying is like, you go in with it. That's right. You know, and then you're not subject to outside uh, influences. Right. Or whether what you're doing in the specific scenario works or not. Yes. Like you're free of that. But and, but anyone, any fighter, any athlete, any special ops person knows that, that when you're going into some mission, if you're uptight, you're not as good. You, the more relaxed you are, and this is the craziest thing, this is way further down in my career where I was taught all of this and learned it, is that the, the jet fuel between gray and white matter in the brain is joy. And so the operating level, the driving kind of mentality we want in everything we do is joy. Okay, so so that's so if that's the fuel, right? We're you know, fear is, is in the backseat. Right. So I got two questions. One, how are we supposed to how do you what's a healthy way to use the fear? Right. And then how do we find the joy. Right. So what, how do we find that fuel? Yeah. So great question. Or live by that. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so interestingly, what, what, the reason joy is such an interesting concept and I'm, I just, I read about joy in books on cognitive psychology. It's not, you know, I mean, it's the, uh, clearly from, you know, my religious background, it's, it's in there, but, but reading it in studies of the brain and moving from the, the reptile brain to the prefrontal cortex, joy like accelerates that process. Um, why? Because because joy is the resu- is the byproduct or the visible 
visible part of love. Love produces joy. And so if you're, if you're operating in love, the outworking, because love is so like, I love you, like, but, but it's like, no, that person is operating in joy. So if I go, if I, as a police officer, if I'm pulling a car over and I'm operating in fear, there's a very distinct way I talk to the person I'm dealing with. Right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. yeah. And the person knows it immediately because they're now, they're also in fear. And so I can either elevate that fear, which is what happens usually, or if I walk up to them with a mindset of joy, it, it completely affects the other person. Almost, and I can give you a lot of examples of that because we've done experiments with police departments doing this. Um, so quickly back though, how do you get to the joy? And one other thing about joy, I was asking some NFL players, we were doing identity work with a NFL team, and I was asking the players, what's the emotion you're operating in most of the time? I ask this to people all the time. What's your main, sometimes I'll say, what's your main negative emotion that you deal with on a regular basis? That's how I start a lot of just interactions with people. But among these athletes, I was asking them, what is your, what is your driving emotion through the week in a game? What's your driving emotion? And most of them end up at fear. Really? Right. An athlete? Mm -hmm. Right. Fear of losing? Fear of losing, fear of getting hurt, fear of not making the team, constant, okay. of a younger player beating them out, getting hurt in some unpredictable way. Like it's in their mind all the time. It's because of the competition level. So, mm -hmm. okay. So, so what comes to mind for me is I think a lot of times I've viewed fear as a protector. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I think about that athlete who's operating out of fear of getting hurt, I'm thinking, well, that could be kind of smart because that could right. help him or her avoid injury. Right. And I think over time, like that's been, that's been more ingrained. It gets mm -hmm. stronger and stronger that you know, I, I feel more fear and you know, I don't want to feel fear, but I, my brain is telling me that well, this is going to protect you. Right. You know, right. So speak to me a little bit about that. Okay. So, um, so there's a different, so yeah. So the fear, when fear is in the driver's seat or riding shotgun, the way you, you can tell, I can, t when I'm having a conversation with a person, it can be a complete stranger um, or someone I even know well, and, and like my coworkers, we challenge each other on this, but I just listen for is the, when the person talks, are they self-promoting and or self-protecting when they talk? Yeah. And as soon as you hear it, like they're in fear. Fear because, of losing their job, losing yeah, their position. Yeah, because that's what fear is doing. It's trying to protect you, right? Yeah. Um, so the value of fear in the back seat <laughs> is if I'm walking towards a cliff. Right. Fear is like, you're getting, and the closer I get to the cliff, the louder it yells. So the right way to use fear is, okay, you're going into a situation, and in this situation, you're not being who you're supposed to be, and fear is warning you not to be a false person or an imposter identity. In this. But we don't know how to use fear that way. We Got use it. fear just to self-protect and self-promote. Got it. But the value of fear is like, look, this is against everything you believe. You should be terrified to take this false position in what you're going to do. That's the beauty so of flip fear. It. So like fear of losing your identity yes. or being another person or even the fear of operating out of fear. Right. That's right. <laughs> or the fear of, of um, unjust things happening. We should be t terrified of our society becoming unjust. Yeah. We're not. We're not afraid of that. Yeah. I'm afraid that I might not have as much money as I should. That's fear all upside down and wrong. Yeah. 
And fear is just all, all I'm using fear is to self-promote and self-protect. And when you do that, you separate yourself from others immediately. I have, if you and I are going to be friends or partners or coworkers on something, um, uh, and I, ha I realize that ah, when I'm with you, I got to self self-protect a little bit, immediate separation between me and you. Got it. There's a barrier. Uh, automatic. Yeah. But I may never really realize it because no one's ever talked about it with me. Right. So like, why are you self-protecting? I'm not self-protecting. I'm using a coping mechanism that I learned a long time ago um, when someone hurt me. Like, yeah, but you don't need, you. there's other ways to, to, a coping mechanism can cause you to survive, but you will never thrive with a coping mechanism. No, it's a, it's a complete coping mechanism. Right. But, you know, you mentioned joy earlier. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, how do we, how do we start to use that energy, right. you know, to fuel us? Right. So joy. So, so back to the, to the NFL players. So I would be asking them and they would, I would say, aren't you really, or I would ask the coaches, what's your, what's your motivational style for your, your, for the players to get better? What do you use? Fear. Yeah. We yell at you. Right. Bosses use fear. Everyone uses fear. Teachers use fear. Preachers use fear. Everyone's using fear to try and threaten people into a higher level of excellence. So, so the players were like, no, it's good that we're angry most of the time because we play it's at a aggression. higher level, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 which yeah. is a complete falsehood. So I say to them, okay, yeah, but what happens when you go home to be with you know, your significant other? Do you just turn that off? Right, it's with you. You, you can't. But and, I'm, I would also argue that you know, that's not the best way to... Um, get the most out of yourself from a performance Correct. perspective. It's not. It's it's like a. It's easy to think that it That's is. That's right. And so I, this this is what I asked him. I said, "Why did why did you start playing football in the first place?" Joy. I love the game. Right. I love playing. Right. Okay. But what happens along the way? It becomes competitive. It becomes monetary. It becomes yeah. my identity. Ooh. And once it becomes, I mean, there's tennis players right now, professional players that are really struggling with this. It, it's not fun anymore. Uh, exactly. So, so like uh, speaking, they've like, lost the joy. Is that is this all kind of the root cause of you know the mental health crisis I, that so many of us are, are talking yes. about? A lot of us are living through. Yes. Is it's it's really all fear based? I think all fear based yes. and identity right. identity based. But I feel like those both are going together. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. So, so here's kind of the progression we walk through when we're working with. So, so in my career, we, you know, came out of the police department, um, interviewed by the CIA on what, what I was doing. And I was just doing this at a very r rudimentary level. And they challenged me and they said, can you do this in a foreign environment? Can you do it outside the United States in a, in a, in a hostile environment? And I, my answer was, if they're human beings, I can. Because <laughs> the assumption is that this people group is somehow different than me, which is the first mistake. Uh, they're not human. Are they not human? Well, that's what we do when we're afraid. We dehumanize others, right? Interesting. And so I said, you know, if they're breathing, they're going to be just like me a little bit different cultural context, but there's, I'm if there's conflict involved, it's fear-based. Yeah. I guarantee you. And so, um, so they gave me a challenge. I took that challenge and we went overseas and over years, over 27 years and lots of mistakes and people getting hurt and, um, being arrested in different countries and put on trial and all through all of that process, which I would have never learned if I was afraid. 
I wouldn't have gone through all of that if, right. if fear was my decision maker. And in those things we came up with, so we worked with Uyghur people in China and then in the conflict and then ISIS members and then Hamas members and then um, militant groups in Indonesia. It was like, if we had to come up with a different strategy for every one of them, we'll never resolve it. What we realized is it's all the same as what I was doing in the police department. It's the same issue that I'm, when I'm talking to an Amazon worker. It's the same thing for all of them. And which is the fear, which is fear. And so it's just this progression. This is how we walk through it. All external conflict in humanity, all external conflict comes from internal conflict. Okay. I, I cannot be in an external conflict unless I have internal conflict going. If I don't have any internal conflict, I don't have any reason to be in an external conflict. So, so how do you focus on the internal and like, how do you make that right? You know, right. How, how do we bring that joy right. internally? Right. So we, it's a three-step process that you want to walk the person through. And the process, we call it truth tell, mind change, form change. Believe it or not, what liberates all humans in every circumstance that they believe they're trapped in is truth. I believe it more than, I believe that. Right. So much. Right. So what we're assuming, because I'm a human and I do this, is that most of what you think you believe you actually don't. And most of what you think about yourself is actually false. And so you're <laughs> so, not right. So, so you're not operating in truth. So how do you, how do you know? Like one thing I struggle with is like, like I almost don't trust myself. Like how do I know what's truth and what's not? Right. So, uh, so like that's not something I can just answer for you, right. but what I can do is walk you into experiencing how much you do understand and know the truth. And you've known it the whole time. It's not hidden from you, but because, because we grow up in an, in a system, in a worldview and our, the worldview that all of us are being raised in, and I mean across the world, I don't, a worldview is not, is not how I think I think about the world. The worldview is how I think about my worldview. <laughs> it's so deep within, it's the lens that I'm looking through. Right. Right. And so the worldview that you're living in and most all of us are raised in is a separation worldview, which is based on four things. The idea that's of scarcity, that the world is a scarcity model, which means that our main operating two words are not enough. Okay. Right. Yep. And so as soon as a person becomes convinced that there's not enough, they move into su fear, self-protection and self-promotion. Totally. Right. Yep. But but we are, t I mean, like, you know, in public schools and private, it doesn't matter. Very early on, kids learn I'm not enough. They're better than me. I'm supposed to be like that and I'll never be like that. And they have to face the horror of that <laughs> or my family's not enough. I don't have enough money. There's not enough time. And there, and it becomes second nature to them. Right? So one thing with the not enough, um, I can see my brain could tell me that could be like a motivator. You know, like, you know what I mean? That could switch on like, right. Okay. Competitive mode. There's not enough. I got to go get mine. Right. You know, that's right. But I'm, I'm much more connect with the abundance mindset Good. that, um, you know, there's enough out there for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then that puts me into gratitude mode. Right. And, and then exactly. you see where I'm going. Yeah. That's what you want. And so, so what you're doing with a person in truth tell is you want, okay. So, and, and this is an amazing team builder in offices and on squad police squads. And when we're doing, um, racial issues in a group that's very diverse and very siloed from one another, cause we don't like each other. 
Why don't we like each other? We're afraid of each other. Ew. Why? Because there's not enough for all of us, so some of us are going to get excluded. We're not going to be included. Why? Because there's not enough. Interesting. Right? And But it's a, such a deep belief in all of us that we'll do it without even saying, without even realizing we do it. So when when we're going around a room, I mean, I can give you, we've been doing this for so many years, but you know, when Seattle was exploding and, and other cities, Portland. So we would go into a group of people that, that were government officials in a city that wouldn't even talk to each other. Well, they wouldn't that even level, communicate with each other. Yeah. Cause it's completely me versus you. Right. You know, I got to self-preserve. Right. Right. And I, and how much of the budget can go to my department and it's just constant. It's almost like a contradiction because, you know, human nature, our nature is to self-preserve, right? We want to live. It's the, it's the reptilian brain. Right. Yes, absolutely. But I think the, the contradiction is that this not enough attitude is not actually how we self-preserve. Right. It, it, it's, Does that make sense? It destroys us. It destroys yes, us. Yes, exactly right. It's the opposite that exactly right. gets us what we want. Exactly. And so we're living upside down. Yeah. So the truth telling part is, so when I, so in a room where there's, you know, police and black lives matter community and whatever the different communities are, I don't let them introduce themselves. I just say, here we go. Because when I go to introduce myself, I'm going to self promote and self protect. Yeah, everyone does it. I was in a group of CEOs in a meeting and the facilitator said, listen, there's just a connection meeting, 30 CEOs. And the facilitator said, introduce yourself. And the first person says, I'm so and so I'm the lead counsel for some company and we're worth $10 billion. <laughs> he, he, he divided the room by that statement. Right. He completely divided and segmented the room by that introduction. And then everyone after him said things like, well, I only... Got it. Right? Yep. Their identity yep. has come from his introduction. Interesting. So what if he did that, but then I held ground and, and said what I did proudly, you know, would that still be no, the it's same still, dynamic? No, it's still a comparison. Okay. Com you're okay. comparing yourself to him by saying, I wanted to do that. When we got, when we, when he when it finally came around to me, I wanted to say, you know, I'm so-and-so and we have a small company and our net worth is a, probably $157 currently, but I didn't want to be sarcastic. Right. 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 And so I, you're making fun of him, right. And I didn't want to do that, which should further divide the room. So I said, and people in the room had their heads down because their company was not worth that much. Right. And so the room was ranked. Right. And they'll never be, they'll never be able to work with any joy in that group. Okay. It's, it's gone. So when they got to me, I said, I said, listen, let's go around and just, I want you to say, I want you to say, what's the biggest obstacle you're facing in your life right now? That unifies the Ooh. room immediately. Yes. And it equalizes the room. Yes. Right. So when I, so when I, when I'm in a diverse group, I'll say, I want to know the number one, everyone's going to start. We don't care what you do, where you're from, because those aren't identities. Yes. The identity is what's in deeper than any, any, anything we're going to discuss here. Your identity is deeper than that. Okay. And so uh, what we want to start with is things about our identity. What's your number one negative emotion you deal with on a regular basis? We went all the way around the room. Every single person is dealing with fear. So I, okay. I see how that's a huge connector and how mm -hmm. that can bring people together, mm -hmm. uh, get organizations to work, uh, better internally. Right. But you know, I do see value in like, um, wanting to be successful and wanting to do our yes, best. Right. So how do we like, 
how do we still operate in that? That's called wholeness. Wholeness. Okay. That's wholeness. So wholeness is the way of my being matches the truth of my being. So what I'm doing matches the truth of who I am. There's no conflict here between who I actually am and what I'm doing. And so I'm not compa- I don't compare myself to anyone. I'm just being wholly who I am. And what that does is it gives you a resiliency level that's off the charts. So tell me more about that because that's very, I love that. Right. So again, it's back to, so when I say, what's your negative emotion? They say fear. What, okay. Which is going to be universal. Universal. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And what you want them to do, what we get them to do is make an I am statement. What they're afraid of is who they are. That's what they're afraid of. And they're, and I am, I am, I am a failure. I am not smart. I am a loser. I am a procrastinator. Their identity statements, the fear is warning them that these are wrong. Oh, okay. So the fear, the, and that's where we use fear is good. Right. Say, oh, the fear exists because I'm telling myself a lie. Right. Okay. Yes. And that, so it's like a red flag. Right. So, but the person will never know it until they speak the truth about it. And so I like, um, here's my, here's mine. I am a disappointment. So then they all say it. And then they're, and then now the room is really equal. Okay. When the police chief says, I am a failure because I'm not helping this city. How are you going to hate that guy? <laughs> You're, and then the head of the NAACP looks like, look right at the white chief and says, and I feel like I'm a failure in my community. How is this failure and this failure? Why are they fighting when they could be? So, so, the, so, the, how, so how do you replace that with the yeah, truth? Right. The next who, because to whatever name you call yourself, you learned. It okay. was taught you. And so we want to know, when's the first time you knew that you were a failure? You learned that you were a failure because you weren't born thinking you were a failure. You were, you were born thinking everything was possible in the world's magic and everything's beautiful and you were filled with joy until someone told you otherwise. Someone told you otherwise or you experienced otherwise. Who told you? And you should see how emotional people get when they start thinking who's the first one that told me I'm a failure and they know oh because your brain records it yeah so like my dad would say to me you know you're a disappointment that's disappointing and it becomes my in a young child it becomes the external voice becomes your internal voice I am an I am a disappointment so once I realize I'm a disappointment I have two options accept you're a disappointment and live like one or I'm gonna do everything I can the chip on the shoulder both are deadly yep Yep. And so, so when the person realizes, okay, wow, what I really believe about myself deep down in the middle of the night is I'm a failure. So when I go into that meeting, if it fails, it reinforces my, and I got to get it. And I don't care who I have to stomp on. I got to get that meeting because otherwise I'm a failure. Right. And so that, that job is God now. Right. So that when, when you realize I'm a failure, you, who told you, okay, let's go back to that day. And let's relive that moment and let's talk about the truth of that day. And that's where they discover the liberation. So you're liberated and and we got to wrap it up here pretty soon. You're you're liberated. How do you replace that? I am statement. And what, 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 like, what are some things we can, you know, so many people I, I think that are watching this, I think sometimes might see themselves as someone who isn't healthy right. or mm-hmm. like, how do you flip that? Right. So, so it is, it is really, it's very difficult to just to do by yourself. You, yes. It takes community. Yeah. So one is you want to be in community with one other person or a group or whatever, where you can, with that person can walk with you and like doing this with NFL players was so fascinating because you're in a team environment. Right. right. And you, and you're like, why are, why are you so angry on the field? Because 
because my second grade teacher said I would never amount to anything. And, and my, my competitive, the athlete in me says, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, which is odd. Yeah. But see, the joyful player, it's better to take it outside of sports. Sports is one example. It's like when 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 you do studies of like our people, a lot of our people were tortured in the scenarios we yeah. were in. Yeah. When they go through the torture, if they try and go th and when you do torture training, like in military in the SEER schools where they train you in torture, how to be tortured, not how to torture, but how to go through torture. It's horrifying. Yeah. And all they do is find your deepest fear and they put you in it. Ah. Uh. And so you, anger will not take you through. Anger will break down so fast. Fear will destroy you. What the, 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 the men and women that go through SEER training at the highest level are joyful during the torture. It's a higher level than anger and fear, much higher. So how do, how do we get to that place of joy? It might be impossible for you to, to it is. We'll, it we'll have to way. have a whole time just on that. But it's by living in this process. Truth, tell the truth. Let your mind be changed to what you, what you perceived is true. You need an external source to help you change your mind. I'm a failure. Where did you learn that? In second grade when I gave a speech and the whole class laughed at me. There it is. I'm a failure. I'm not a good speaker. Forever. Yep. Okay, go back. we got to go back to that day. We have to let truth speak on that day. Okay. What you did was let a lie. No one called you a bad speaker. That's, that's what you took out of the situation. Let's get rid of that and replace it. What's the truth? What's the truth about that situation? Say the truth about that situation. Make an identity statement about the truth of that situation. And now let's live like that now. And that's, and and that's that, the form change. And that puts you into joy. That's right. Huh. And then you have accountability with whoever you're with. So like my, the teams I work with or that I train, whenever they, and we, I know we've got to wrap this up, but so we, we formed a team to fight human trafficking on a very deep level. They're all former CIA and FBI, but we trained all of them before the meeting for over years. And so when they all came together, they didn't know each other. And we were in a circle and they're all different agencies. And I said, introduce yourself. None of them said the name of their agency and none of them even said their name. They said, they said, I am, I am uh, a lover of the guilty. Okay. That they were saying their deepest identity. I am a lover of the guilty. I am a protector of the innocent. And so when they were done, not only, not only did we know how they understood themselves, we knew what they were going to do on the team because the way of their being comes from the, the truth of their being. So what are we going to use this guy for? To love the guilty. Yeah. That's a very distinct vocation in our, what we're going to do with traffickers. He's a protector of the innocent. We know what he's going to do. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so the identity informed uh, uh, being informs doing being informs doing unpack that just real quick, just because I'm fascinated. But <laughs> being so informs so doing. my identity, my my identity, uh, which really came out, was interesting when I was going through the process with the CIA psychiatrist and, and the CIA psychiatrist said, you're a weird dude because you hate conflict, but you pick a job that's all about conflict. Right. You hate. But that's why I'm in a conflict job is because I hate conflict. And so my identity is I'm a militant peacemaker. And where do you want to put a militant peacemaker? Right in the middle of conflict because they hate conflict. Now, did you come up with that based on, OK, worked backwards? I like working in conflict. OK, I must be a militant peacemaker. No, I came from a work working with a guy senior to me that said, watching me do something on the job. And he goes, you don't know who you are, do you? And I said, how do you know? I don't know. He said, because you're imitating the people around you. OK. And, and okay. he said, you need to understand who you are just uniquely because we need, we already have us. 
We don't need you imitating us, which is what most people do. We need your distinct identity, but we don't know what it is. So we're going to send you to a guy to work with you so you can come back and tell us who you are. So we'll know what to do with you. It was, it was just like so brilliant. And it was a short process because people already do know who they are. They've just never been walked through the process of talking about it. Any quick, like practical things for the people watching that they could do to find that? Yeah. So we did it. We do it with middle schoolers in one hour. Okay. We just walk in with them and we do it one hour with them. Um, How valuable would that be as a middle school? Oh, you should see the, My re- gosh. you should see the reaction of the middle schoolers, seventh and eighth graders. Uh, in a public school setting and we just ask we give them a blank piece of paper and we say okay here's what we want you to write down we, we, we we're all just going to relax we want you to write down names that you believe about yourself that hurt you Ooh. and they can do it like this okay I, i'm fat i'm lazy they know that all humans they just don't want to talk they don't want to tell the truth okay so they write that down and then we walk them through a meditative process of where they're taking that those false names and handing it to whatever they imagine to be unconditional love. Unconditional love is sitting with you. It's so beautiful to hear them describe what unconditional love is. It's what we do the NFL players too, same thing. Interesting. If unconditional love was sitting next to you, what would it look like? Oh my gosh, what they say. And okay, give those names, you're fat, you're lazy, you're ugly, you're a bad student, give it to love. What does love do with it? Tears it up throws it away it won't it won't emphasize it look at it it won't tolerate it it throws it away we never it doesn't matter where in the world we do this that's always what love does with the false identity it throws it away and it replaces it then then we pass around a trash can they rip it up throw it away we're, we're, if love won't look at it why do you look at it every day and believe it love doesn't right so it must not be right so then we give them another piece of paper and we and so they're all excited because that's they have to have a way of like getting rid of this giving it away not like I got to think I got to pretend like I'm not this get rid of it give yeah. it away okay now blank piece of paper okay now ask love what love calls you oh oh my gosh beloved daughter that's the kind of things they wrote down beautiful um you're cool all these things that that was so affirming to these kids and we would ask them do you ever call yourself this no who's calling you that something more than me yeah that knows me yes then we're going to, when you're in class, we expect this person to be there. Wow. That is so powerful. Um, guys, ask love what love would say about you. That's yeah. what I'm going to take from Get this. rid of the false first. Yes. Get rid of Burn the false. Burn it. Right. Burn it. Give it, it to up. love. Get rid of it. But, but right. Don't be afraid to write it down. Yeah. Say it. Get it out. Tell the truth. Then give it away. And then the mind changes. Ask love what love calls you. Listen. Write it down. It'll be crazy. The things that come to your mind. They'll be higher than what you think of yourself, but don't, that's okay. Write it down. And that's, that's mind change. And then form changes live like this. Being informs doing. Do you suggest people get in like a small group for this? Like have this be a group exercise? Oh yeah. It's way Family better. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In a group that you feel safe to do something like this. Okay. Right. Yeah. That won't weaponize it. Man, on you. Jamie Winship, this has been so much fun. I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there any chance I can get you back on the podcast yeah. for a follow up? Yeah. Cause there's like to. four um, different topics we could yeah, dive I'd deep on. To. I'd love to. Yeah. Jamie, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me guys. Thank you so much for uh, watching this episode of outside the box. If you have any comments on that, put them, put it down below in the description or the comments below i'm sorry uh we'd love to to hear from you uh we're gonna get jamie back on the podcast i promise um until then we'll be back as always don't go away
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, Please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys next time.